Welcome to the Kitchen Table Podcast. My name is Sue Bradley. I have created this podcast as I love a good old yarn. Stories for me are the language of community. It is what weaves us all together. And in telling and sharing stories, we learn what makes us similar and what connects us all. Most ideas come into reality because they come from the heart of someone who wants to create change, to stand for something bigger than themselves. The Kitchen Table Podcast is where we can all come together to connect in community and listen and be inspired by our guests talking about their knowledge and experiences in nutrition, health, growing food and care of country. I would also like to acknowledge the traditional owners and ancestors of this land we now gather on, where we can celebrate together as one learning from each other through cultural practices, wisdom and law. So I invite you to grab a cup of warmth and love, find a comfortable place to relax and tune in to today's episode at the kitchen table. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to another episode of The Kitchen Table. In this episode, I get to sit down with Cindy O'Meara, and boy, what a conversation we shared. I was so grateful for her time and to accept this invitation to um, come on to this podcast. She has been a wonderful mentor, teacher, a strong woman that I have looked up to and her success in the health industry and what she shares and teaches and her love of um, others to succeed. I owe a lot to Cindy. She transformed my life completely through her educational academy, the nutrition, or it was the nutrition academy when I did it, but it's the functional nutrition academy now. I highly recommend you check it out if you are wanting to learn more about integrated nutrition. It's not the usual standard path that we look to. It's outside the box to the norm and it's very much and it sits well, it sits very much intuitively intuitively with me. So we speak on various topics in this episode. Um, and it could, it could raise a few new questions in your mind and things that you might not have thought about. And I hope you come in with an open mind when you listen to this episode. Um, she has opened my mind a lot and it continually opens. She planted a seed many years ago um, in education and I thank her for that because before I started her course I wasn't really moving ahead in my personal growth and learning and she instilled in me um, a desire to continually learn and expand my mind and seek truth ask questions she is passionate about health and she's passionate about people living their true life. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Check her out. There's so much I could share in this um, intro, but I feel that's enough. 
until we until you dive deep into this conversation and see what you take from it. I'd love to hear feedback from this conversation and um, I'd love to have it back on another time. I don't think we had enough time to completely finish the conversation. There was so much more we could have shared. Um, But I'm very thankful for her to come on board and um, talk in this episode. So I hope you enjoy it. And, um, yeah, I'll meet you in the next episode. Bye. Hi, Cindy, and welcome to the Kitchen Table Podcast today. Um, I could probably be a bit speechless in this episode because you have been a major impact in my life. Um, I remember coming across you predominantly because I want to study nutrition in my early, after my, my, I had my children. And I was looking for a really good course that was not mainstream. It was integrated. It was about holistic health management and looking at... Um, other alternate ways to look at your health. And I did some research and I found you and I was very impressed with the way you delivered content, your passion, your constant um, learning and always wanting to know more about things. You, you have a very curious mind and I really gravitated to that and I enrolled in your course and I you know, had no expectations at all and then it was like, boom, <laughs> it was incredible. I learned so much and it changed my life, literally. It opened up a lot of things and the books, the readings, the research, it was just incredible. So I'm very, very privileged and thankful for you to be on, on board today on, at the kitchen table. I wish we were in person, um, but we're in different states, but this is good enough. And I really want to thank you for jumping on today. Oh, I, I love what you're doing, Sue. So I am very happy to be here. I think you're making a big impact. And if I had something to do with that, then wonderful. But I know you put the action in in order to do it. So congratulations yeah. on what you're doing as well. Thank you. And meeting yourself and many other women, I didn't have a lot of um, women in my life that were mentors that were very strong, courageous women and you introduced me to quite a few and I drew the strength from you all and that, and that's, yeah, so it was a collective, collective strength. We'll move on from that, I think. <laughs> the first question I love to ask my guests, uh, it's a great way to start off a conversation is, who would you invite to your kitchen table and what would you serve them as a meal? Well, it's interesting you should ask me that today, but I sent an email to someone very famous yesterday and I got an answer from him. And I think I'd like to have him for dinner today. Um, If I was serving up dinner for him, I would serve up for him today. And his name is Robert Kennedy and he wrote the book. Well, he's just written this incredible book, The Real Anthony Fauci. Mm. Um, And I I couldn't believe in 24 hours I woke up this morning, you know, he's in the US and I woke up this morning and he'd answered my um, email about his book. So I'm going to go for Robert Kennedy today. (laughs) I would too. Oh, my gosh. Robert Kennedy Jr. Mm -hmm. He's an incredible, incredible man in this world right now and he is a brave soul. He speaks truth. And for anyone that hasn't listened to him, he's certainly – uh, he he certainly is leading the way at the moment and someone that you can navigate to to know truth and well-researched, backed up, 
Yeah. So what would you ask him if he came to your kitchen table? What questions would you ask him? Like I've just read his book, The Real Anthony Fauci, and um, what was incredible was that um, I've been following him since um, he started Children's Health Defence. I listened to him speak um, in front of, I think it was about two to 3,000 people in California at a thing called CalJam, and Del Bigtree spoke at the same time. So if I'm going to have two, I'll have the two of them, thanks. Um, but I listened to him speak, and I've kind of been following him ever since. But I think what... I love about him was his stance on glyphosate and that he had a big thing to do with, you know, the the, the suing of Monsanto and Bayer. Uh, and then he's gotten very much into um, vaccines, mm. um, you know, the childhood schedule. Yep. So I was enthralled with how he did that from vaccinating all his children um, and him being vaccinated to him being very up, worried about the amount of mercury that was sitting in a vaccine and then the schedule. Mm. And now... He, written this book, The Real Anthony Fauci. Um, And so my question to him would be on the first half of the book. And the first half of the book is based on HIV and AIDS. And um, I was very much involved in that in the 1980s because I am a family, I have a family of of people with hemophilia. So in my family, there are nine people with hemophilia. Back in the 80s, um, we had six with hemophilia. Um, They were all married and all of them had children. And during the AIDS, HIV AIDS crisis, we lost uh, eight family members to AIDS. So I lost um, my uncles, two of their wives and a six-month-old. So we had a whole family be wiped out by it. So I think my question to him would be, do you think if Anthony Fauci was not head of NIH and that other one, NIIH, the Allergy and Infectious Diseases, do you think if he wasn't alive today that my uncles and my aunts and my cousin would still be alive today? Mm-hmm. I think that would be the question I would ask him. And reading his book, I think I know what his answer would be and it would probably be yes. Mm. I know that's a big one, isn't it? You know, And I think that's how you got into um, nutrition is um, – Going back to you as a child, you're in because you were in America, living in America from a farming family, weren't you? And the use of chemicals in mm. your farming was something that brought to light the impact chemicals have on our health. Yeah, and food. I actually, I actually never lived in America, but my mother and my sister and my father lived in America. So my dad's a Kiwi, so he was brought up in Kaikoura. Oh, yeah, my mum was yeah, my mum was brought up in Iowa, USA, and my sister was born in 1959 before they came to Australia. My mother was pregnant with me when we moved, when Dad moved okay. the whole family to Australia. The The issue was is that my grandfather in the 40s and 50s saw DDT, arsenic and lead, coming into um, his way of farming, which was he had a cornfield, well, had a huge cornfield. Mm. And he didn't agree with it and he used to say to all the farmers around him, you know, these chemicals are going to destroy Um, our soils, they're going to destroy our food, they're going to kill people. And they all laughed at him and said, Vince, this is the new way to farming. Um, You better get used to it because this is what it's going to be about. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's a big one. So it was a big one. And um, he continued to never use those chemicals. He actually ended up losing the family farm probably more because he had – 
They had 11 kids. There was 11 kids. My mum was the oldest. Seven were boys. Six had hemophilia. None of them could work on the farm. So that tradition of the boys working on the farm never eventuated for him. And they ended up on two acres in town. And my grandfather had a vegetable garden that fed everybody. So he knew how to farm. He was he understood how to do it. My my grandma was a nurse. Um, thank goodness, because the boys would often need tr- um, blood transfusions. Mm. Um, and and so I, I very much because of Robert Kennedy doing that whole thing on glyphosate and understanding DDT because I'd read Silent Spring by Rachel Carson. I knew what my grandfather thought of it. I saw my mother and my sister pass from cancer. Mm. Um, they lived the same life as me, healthy in Australia. But they, my my mum was born just before arsenic and lead was sprayed for two years mm. on the locust plague, and then in 1945, DDT was sprayed in their hair. My mum had really long hair, and if there was nits, they would spray it. They sprayed swimming pools for mosquitoes. They sprayed DDT everywhere. So she was very much um, part of that whole thing with DDT. Um, and then, of course, she would have had it in her fat cells because that's where it goes and yeah. there would have been arsenic lead in her bones. Yeah. So I think that that then went on to my sister when my mum couldn't eat in those first three months of pregnancy. And as a result, you know, they both passed from cancer. Mm. And somebody said, she said, oh, your mother did everything right. Mm. I said, yeah, she probably wouldn't have lasted as long as she did if she didn't mm. because my sister didn't do everything right. She smoked, she drank, she she loved Nutella, you know, she didn't eat the best of foods. She lived a party life and she lived till 46. So th- I think that they were both kind of um, exposed to DDT and probably arsenic and lead and, and, and that was a result. My mum, my dad, myself and my brother, I was born in Australia 16 months after Lisa. So I'll assume that Lisa took all of that chemical yeah. load off my mum yeah. and I was born without that chemical load. And my dad was brought up to the age of 30 in a beautiful country where the chemicals weren't being sprayed like they were being sprayed in Iowa. So, yeah, I, I would have so many questions for him I, and I would, I would want to tell him my family's story because they have been heavily impacted not over, only by HIV and AIDS but also by um, the chemicals that were sprayed on the cornfields mm. um, around the family farm. So, yeah, that's... That's probably, I guess that's why that all, yeah, that all, yeah. Well, yeah. when when was the realization for you that that was the impact on your mother and your sister with those chemicals? Going back, thinking back, when was it that those that came together? That knowledge. Uh, I really think that it all came together when I went and visited Dr. Stephanie Seneff at MIT in Boston. So I was creating a documentary, What's With Wheat? So what was happening with me is that I've always eaten well. My mother um, grew a lot of the food. She went to the local fruit and veggie shop. There were no grocery stores. There was no McDonald's. There was no Kentucky Fried Chicken. I was brought up in a very small country town in Victoria where she made everything from scratch like her pantry she didn't have a pantry they don't have pantries back then she had a spice rack she had a little cupboard for flowers and sugars and you know salts and and things like that and and she made everything from scratch we had a fridge and and that was it Mm. yeah it was very much simple living back then in some ways very simple and that was the way I was brought up and that was the way um I I just lived that life um, and then I got to about 50, still eating, like I made everything from my kids, did everything like that. I got to about 50, 52, and I started to get aches and pains, started to gain weight. 
Um, my brain wasn't working well. I had tightness in my throat. I had a really sore back and I have chiropractors in my family. I had really bad right hip pain. I had a girlfriend at the age of 60 have a hip replacement. I'm thinking, oh, is this where I'm going to end up? And I wasn't doing well considering my diet. So I heard about this protocol. There was an old 1970s protocol um, called Pounds and Inches, and I I read about it, and I thought, I'm going to give it a go. I'm just going to give it a go. It's so outlandish and out there, but it's all based on real food. And that's what I did. I did give that a go, and in one week I lost four and a half kilos. Now, you can't lose that in fat. That is water. Mm. That is water weight. And in that week, I lost all my back pain, all my hip pain, all my aches and pains. Um, about day 10, my brain clicked in. Um, and then at the end of three weeks, I'd lost nine kilos. I've never put that nine kilos on because what I did after that was I slowly introduced foods back in the diet. And when I got to bread, because I used to make my own bread, when I got to bread, I ate it. The next day I'd gained 900 grams, which is water, can't be fat. So anybody who puts weight on like that, it's water weight, it's not fat. So don't be disheartened. Understand what the food you ate, take it out of the diet, you'll lose it just like that again. And and I I try to teach people this because they get so disheartened. I had a glass of wine and I gained two kilos. But it's just don't drink it the next day and it'll go off, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so but everybody panics thinking, well, oh, I've gained it, I might as well just keep going. You yeah. know what, I mean? what was the base of that original diet that, you know, what was the base of that diet that you tried? Oh, so reducing your, basically going back to the foods of the um, hunter-gatherer. Yep. Yep. So going back to meat and veg, basically. Um, so I ate winter fruits, but only three a day. Um, I ate two 100 grams of meat or chicken or fish, so only 100 grams lunch and dinner. Um, my free foods were like lettuce and um, greens, things like that, and I, I do a serving of either broccoli or asparagus or cauliflower, one serving mm-hmm. with dinner. So calories cut down to 500, um, and everybody goes, ah, I can't live on 500 calories, but in actual fact, by day three, you're actually living on 2,500 calories because what you're doing is that your body – is starting to use the fat from your fat cells and it uses around 2,200 calories from fat cells every day if you don't feed it. It's it's called ketosis and people have heard of this. Mm. But I don't do it by keeping my calories high and eating lots of fat. I take all fat out. I just eat small amounts of food um, but proteins, greens and a little bit of fruit. Um, and what that does is kicks me into ketosis and then you use up your fat cells. So I now do that out of my Changing Habits program and it's called the Fat Loss Protocol. We have had thousands of people do this, incredible success. I've had people lose 80 kilos. They have to do it in stages. It's not, you know, you don't stay on 500 calories until yeah. you've lost the 80 kilos. It's a stage. It's, it's a step. not a long-term dietary, no. yeah. Yeah. No, this is very short term. It's taking you back to the winter, which was when we would um, get rid of. We wouldn't. We wouldn't want to get rid of that fat. That fat was there to help us, mm. but it was the way the body survived a winter. So in the summer, we'd eat lots of good foods. We'd eat um, lots of fat meats, and we'd eat lots of fruits and plants and everything, and we'd put weight on. And then in the winter when there wasn't a lot of food around, we use those reserves. So all I'm doing is faking the body to the winter of the hunter-gatherer to get rid of those fat reserves mm. that they put on for 10 years, yeah. you know, and sometimes 
80 kilos. Um, so, and then we teach them the principles of this. So once people get this, then it's incredible. So what happened when I ate that bread was that I put on water weight, which meant that that bread wasn't good for me. Mm. It was inflaming me. My sore back came back. My sore hip came back. My foggy brain came back. And that was when I questioned, well, what's wrong with bread or wheat? Mm. This is when you did your documentary. You became a filmmaker. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about that. Yeah, that journey with What's With Wheat. What's With Wheat. So what happened was I did two years of research on it and I found people like Stephanie Seneff, Vandina Shiva, Natasha Campbell-McBride, um, Pearl Mutter, um, Joel Salatin, Sally Fallon. I'd actually um, known about Sally Fallon before because Sally Fallon has always been somebody that I'd followed with Western Price. Yep. So I, all of these people I started to, you know, research. Um, I also read uh, Wheat Belly by, what was his name? Anyway. He was a doctor, so I read Wheat Belly, um, just brain, grain brain, all of these things I read. And then at the end of it, my husband says to me, so what are you going to do with all this? And I said, well, I don't really want to write another book. And he goes, well, what do you want to do? No, he actually said, why don't you do a documentary on wheat? Wow, and your went, husband, the, one of the, he's not a creator, but he suggests this to you. He suggested this. And then he gave me a budget. Oh, my gosh, the budget oh. was beautiful. So he said, this is your budget. This is what you're allowed. Yep. And and that's when I I, sta- I found a filmmaker here in on the Sunshine Coast. He actually um, has a million people on YouTube. He's done so well in filmmaking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Dustin Brown. So yeah. um, he, he was my um, – he, he did all the production with me and the directing and he and an audio assistant and my assistant Ruth and myself, we travelled the world and had a great time. Awesome. <laughs> did, were they on board with you at the beginning of this? Did they have any idea what they were getting themselves into? Did they transform their look at, you know, wheat and diet? On that I documentary, think the audio guy did. Yeah. Ruth, Ruth already knew because Ruth had been working for me for quite some time. I had given the whole thing to Justin, and and he was on board straight away. He said, "I think this is going to be incredible." And then the audio guy, you know, he 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 was just, "You're doing audio, and you're coming." And that's it. And he really <laughs> it yeah. So we you know we 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 saw Vandina Shiva, Natasha Campbell McBride, of course. Um, we went and say a jai, and I, um, I had Kelly Brogan booked, but Dr. Kelly Brogan got the memo wrong because him, her, and Saya were going out at the time, uh, but it was very quiet. And Saya had organised it. He got the wrong day for her, and I was like, "Oh no, no!" And she lived in Florida, and we were in New York. But anyway, we didn't, we didn't get Kelly Brogan. Um, but what I got another doctor out of New York. We just started to research somebody, and we found this doctor who had written a book. Um, Leah Garland, but I can't remember the name of his book. So we ended up bringing him at the last minute and saying, can we interview? And he was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. You know, things are meant to happen. Mm. So then our last interview was we um, moved to Boston. We're driving to Boston. So we'd gone from Virginia where we had Joel Salatin and we had Sally Fallon, then in New York, and then we were moving up to um, Boston where I wanted um, Alicia Fasano. But he never answered my emails and um, I never had got him in the end. But we did get Dr. Stephanie Seneff. So he went to MIT. And after listening to everybody talk, so she was one of my last interviews, and after listening to everybody talk, we go in there and I ask her the first question. 
and the and she just came up with glyphosate and the shikimate pathway and the this and the that. And I'm like going, the shika what? And and I'd, I'd kind of heard of glyphosate. I knew, and that's why I got Stephanie was because of glyphosate. And basically from that moment onward, um, my whole documentary changed. I had to add what she was, you know, she basically blamed glyphosate on everything I'd been talking about, my aches and pains, my this, my that, my gut, my that, blah, blah. You know, she, she just put it on everything. So I did change the documentary um, and put a little bit more on the shikimate and glyphosate. But what was incredible is that when we translate, transcribed everybody's interviews, the amount of people who talked about the shikimate pathway, but because it wasn't on my radar, I didn't know it until Stephanie said it 100 times and then it was on my radar and then I realised Vandina said it. Um, I realised that... Um, um, uh, Sally Fallon said it. I realised that Terry Walls said it, and I went, "Wow!" Oh, Can maybe explain okay. what the shikamate because we know what that means. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. some people might. But, what is it? Yeah. Oh, so the shikamate pathway is the pathway that glyphosate actually inhibits by inhibiting an enzyme in it. And what it does is that it is humans do not do the shikimate pathway. And that's why they said glyphosate is safe for humans because humans do not have a shikimate pathway. But what has the shikimate pathway is plants, fungi, bacteria, they all are able to create the shikimate or do the shikimate pathway. And the shikimate pathway produces phenylalanine, tyrosine, tryptophan, coenzyme Q10, folic acid. Um, am I missing something? Folic acid. No, they're, they're the main ones and then off them come other things. Mm. So all of a sudden plants are lacking in those three amino acids, folic acids, coenzyme Q10. So all of a sudden they're lacking in them. Bacteria in your gut that's been killed by glyphosate because it no longer creates the shikimate pathway is no longer producing tyrosine, tryptophan, folic acid, phenylalanine, coenzyme Q10. And what happens is that those three amino acids especially are the precursors to your neurotransmitters, mm. your nervous system. Mm. So it's the communication system of your brain. It's the communication system of how we move. And, of course, Terry Walls having multiple sclerosis was very interested in why was her nervous system not working, um, and so she was able to explain it that way. So it was listening to these guys and then um, reading Silent Spring um, by Rachel Carson because they kept talking about Rachel Carson and Silent Spring Understanding that she talked about DDT, understanding what Monsanto did to her um, after she wrote that book, they basically just crucified her in the media. They did the same thing as what they did to um, Carrie Gillum, who wrote the book uh, Whitewash. Mm. So, you know, all of a sudden I, I realised that maybe what, affected my mum and then the arsenic and lead of course I learned about arsenic and lead all these heavy metals all the heavy metals and then so it all kind of all of a sudden I just started to you know go like this and go well what could that have been what absolutely affected my mum's health yeah and the rest yeah. of that family's health and could arsenic and lead have been the precursor to change the genetics of my grandmother because mm. that was the first time hemophilia was ever found in my family so there were all these questions, and there's still questions. So yeah. these were probably the questions I would have asked Robert Kennedy. Could this have been, could this have done this, blah, 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 you know. So I really, I don't have answers, but I can only look at what is happening around the world mm. 
um, and seeing the destruction of glyphosate and the destruction of DDT at the time and and then all sorts of new things. Came. Oh, I have, I'd have 100,000 questions yeah. to ask him. Let's even talk to you now. Yeah. With your documentary, because that was coming out of your documentary, out of your the last interview. I've forgotten the name of the last interview. Dr. Stephanie Sinead. Yeah. And so how did that change your documentary with the, the way you delivered it? Was that a big component of that with the how, what is with wheat? What is it that is detrimental to our health right now? Because people say, oh. well, we ate bread in, you know, our grandmothers made bread, but what is the difference between our bread now and the bread back then? Great question. I did not um, do that, did I? So firstly, glyphosate is the biggest or Roundup or um, Weedmaster or whatever, like there's in Australia there are 596 registered products with glyphosate in it for the domestic market, for the agricultural market, for descaling market, for all sorts of things. So it's registered by the Australian Pesticide and Veterinary Medicine Authority who is paid by these people to register it, keep it on the market and for sales as well. They they. Um, it's a billion-dollar budget these guys have, and they are paid by the chemicals they register. So um, what's happened is that there is a flurry of glyphosate um, in the environment, in the rain, in the atmosphere, because it's water-soluble. So as soon as it hits the ground, it either gets into the water table or it will go into the rain. So as a, 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 as a human race we are drowning in some way with glyphosate. And what that does is it kills your microbiome. So that's why I believe, and Stephanie Seneff believes that 75% of the microbiome that we have or that our microbiota is being killed as a result of, um, in, in diversity, as a result of this weed killer. And that's what it is. It's a weed killer. Mm. Um, so... What happens um, about 2000, about 1995, let's go there, 1995, 96, um, it was more heavily sprayed because of genetically modified foods. So there were Roundup Ready Soya, Roundup Ready Canola. So it got into the food supply. So we're degrading our microbiome. Then in the year 2000, it became uh, something called a desiccant or a drying agent. So what they would do on non-genetically modified foods, such as grains, wheat, barley, oats, um, and legumes, chickpea, um, you know, lentils, what they realised that if they sprayed Roundup or glyphosate on the whole crop, then it would dry together and it would be easier harvested. So it would kill the plant and as the plant is being killed, it gets rid of all the, um, you know, like the extra leaf so it's easy to harvest um, and, and it, it all ripens together. That's basically what it does. Um, and so Australian farmers started to use this on our legumes and our grains. And as a result, um, our grains and our legumes all have Roundup or glyphosate, the, the, um, the active formulation of Roundup, all have it in there. If it's, Even if it's organic, it has it. Like I've just been looking at what's happening in America at the moment where there is so the same body um, of of solicitors and lawyers that sued Monsanto um, and Bayer um, for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and all you know all of the issues that were happening there with glyphosate, yep. they've yep. now realised that the heavy metals in baby food and in infant formulas, yeah, 
is off the scale. So that's the arsenic and lead, and it's mainly in rice because rice has an affinity for arsenic. It will just pick it up. So once they sprayed all the fields with arsenic and lead, they then put rice down, and, of course, that picked up the arsenic and picks up all the arsenic that is just being destroyed with this arsenic and lead. It's good for the land. Um, At least it's detoxing the land. But it's, it's detoxing the land, but it's, to- it, it, it's um, making us toxic. Mm. So that same group of lawyers has now got a class action against gerber and even organic, and this is where I was coming to with organic, even organic food um, has got this heavy metals. Mm. Um, they're not even talking about glyphosate in these foods. Mm. Um, but, you know, this is what has happened. Our foods have got dildren, eldren, um, glyphosate, um, uh, <sighs> Dicamba, 2,4-D, because it's now 2,4-D ready and genetically modified, and dicamba um, ready, genetically modified foods. It's it's a disaster, Mm. an absolute disaster that's happening. And looking at GMOs, you know, having GMOs in our diet. But it's not just the chemicals they're they're doing, they're putting in growing the food and storing the food. It's what they're doing with preserving food and all the processing I know that's something that you drew attention to me and all your students is looking at ingredients and looking at the food that you're eating and that's what you opened my mind to was I was looking at just the nutrition value of food but not looking at how it's grown and what is sprayed on that food and how it's processed, the whole story. So, you know, we're bombarded by all these chemicals just in agricultural and then in our food system and our medical system. So there's chemicals everywhere at the moment. So what hope do we have as women for our health? What can we do? What is something that we can be active in to be in control of our health? Because we are seeming to be getting sicker, which is a a real concern of ours when the more you go down the rabbit hole. But what is something that we can do to help our health? Yeah, and that's that's my main thing is is to educate first and then say, hey, what can we do? Yeah, and I know that you and I both have the same ideals on this, and and those ideals are that we as women are super powerful mm. in our choices of where we spend our money, and let's just do food because that's what we're talking about. But you think about every aspect of where you spend your money. Who do you want to support and who don't you want to support? Because if we do not support these big boys that are spraying um, Roundup or um, Dicamba or 2,4-D or whatever it is that they're spraying, if we do not support them, then they're going to have to go, well, we need to do something different. And what I'm finding in Australia is a huge growth in regenerative farming. And um, you go to your farmer's markets and your farmers are there and they're so proud of what they've done to their soil, what they're doing to their food. And this is where I am all powerful. As one woman buying for a family and, and buying for my, my company, Changing Habits, I can make sure that the, the money that I spend is not supporting any of those big boys like Bayer or DuPont. Now, let me let me give you an example of this. So I'm wanting to make cleaning products. And um, our last lot of cleaning products were made by somebody and um, we found out that they were putting an ingredient in there um, that we did not approve of. So I had them all taken off the market um, and um, I just stopped selling cleaning products. So I said, I really want to still sell cleaning products. Let's see what we can do. So 
we went to, with R&D and we, we decided on one product that we would work on just to see if these guys were any good. And what's interesting is that they'll bring me the product and they'll show me what's in it, the ingredients in it, and they'll say this has a, a an E for a European green or a, a, a green thing. So then I'll go, who makes it and how's it made? And it'll be made from Bassif or DuPont or someone like that. And I go, and it's, it'll be made from wheat or some genetically modified product. And I'll just go, I don't just care about what's coming out this end on the other end that it's green i want to know is this a reputable company is 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 what they're producing this chemical from or this ingredient from a reputable agricultural because i want i want to use you know real things i don't want to use synthetic chemicals and no you they could never win on that side so i kind of i, I gave up so I use hydrogen peroxide for my um, glass and everything like that. You can't put essential oils in it because it'll just oxidize. I learned so much about putting together something. And in the end, I went, you know, hydrogen peroxide at 30% works really well. Mm. Just don't put essential oils in it. And then for soaps, you can do something else. And for this, so we will be producing something, but um, I'm just going to do it without all these new fandangled things that they're, they're bringing out. You'd be blown away. Mm. And they're called green products. So I am all powerful uh, and, and, a, and a, a mother that feeds a baby and a child is all powerful because they don't have to go to Woolies or Coles and they don't have to eat foods that are irradiated. Um, they don't have to buy products that come from overseas or half of the ingredients are from overseas and an Australian company's put them together or packaged or, um, you know, that are not ethical. They can actually become very educated and they can do that with my book, Lab to Table. I go through all the foods and what they've done to them and what's the alternative. I always give you action steps. So I talk about breakfast cereals, dairy, meat, eggs, um, flavours, colours, you name it. It's a, it's a book of 45 chapters. So that's 45 foods I talk about and I say what they've done to it and what's the ethical food that you can go to. Then you become all powerful. You actually go, well, with the way I spend my money, I'm actually saying no to these men and companies and women that are destroying our world and I'm saying yes to these regenerative farmers that are creating better soils, um, increase in organic matter that then holds water on the land um, and brings back the ecology of the soil, brings back the bees and the, and the butterflies and, oh, my gosh, it's just, you know, to me this is, this is what I want and this is what I hope to teach people, you know, is is this kind of thinking. Mm. And we can do that with our clothes. Um, so I'm very much about secondhand clothes now. Um, and, boy, you can find some good secondhand clothes. Like people, pe- rich people throw away. <laughs> yes. Op shopping is so much fun. <laughs> And being creative, you know, getting back to our creativity and, you know, not disbarring being a mum at home. You know, I think, you know, in my days raising young children, I would get the question, so what do you do? And I wasn't working. I was raising children and you sort of got this sense that you weren't worthy. It wasn't an important role, but mother mothering is one of the most important roles you can do. And mm. to have the time is so valuable to have that time at home to raise children well and healthy and to have a community around you healthy. It's priority in my world, yeah. health. Yeah. yeah. If you don't have it, you, think, you don't have anything. You think about 
you think about women, they're the buyers, they're the main buyers, um, and they're buying cleaning products, they're buying the, the things that you put on your skin, mm. the makeups, they're buying um, the food, um, they're the main purchases. And if you are really thinking about your purchases, oh, my gosh, you are doing the best job, better job than anybody else out there, the way I look at it. Um, and, and when people find a company like ours who go, do that work for you yeah. because it's like, oh, where do I buy my chocolate chips and how do I find, you know, good wheat, you know, so we do biodynamic um old-fashioned wheat, so we don't do Trudica Mestivum, and you learn that in my documentary, What's With Wheat, the difference between Emma Wheat, Einkorn, um, Cortezan, Camus, Spelt, and then Trudica Mestivum, which is the modern-day week. So even in that documentary, um, you know, I, I identified 14 things that have happened to wheat, and glyphosate's just one of them. Mm. And so when we are purchasing for our family and doing the best for our family, and when we purchase well our children are well you know I didn't have sick kids my and my kids are now having kids and you know like I look at the way they're bringing up their children and they're bringing them up exactly the same way as my mother brought me up as I brought them up and it's and as my grandmother I watched my grandmother make everything from scratch from the garden and they had a cellar because they had six months of the year where the ground was frozen so they had a cellar and every summer my, my grandmother would um, jar everything, preserve everything, and it would go into the cellar and they would live from that. And I, I hear mothers say, oh, I don't have time for that. But if you don't make the time for this and your health right now, then you're going to have to take a lot of time later for the sickness of a child or the sickness of, 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 of you as an adult or whatever it is. And time right now, um, we have a lot of it because of what's happening and we do have more time we can't do the travel we used to do especially here in Australia I don't you know you're probably international so they might be able to travel but we're not even allowed out of our state you know and especially you know if you um, make choices where they're never going to let you out you know I know (laughs) it's a crazy world Uh, it's a crazy world it's so funny I've got to tell you this I, I rang my council because you know this I, I live in Queensland and we've got something happening on the 17th and you might want to delete this, but we've got something <laughs> no. happening on the 17th here. Um, and the, and I, I saw um, Reignite Australia say that they're going to do this council thing, that you're not going to pay your rates because you're not allowed to go to council things. So I rang the council today just before we got on and I said to them, I went, can you tell me what I'm not allowed in if I'm not vaccinated? Just, yeah, I'm asking for a friend, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and she told me all of these things and I went, well, seeing as I'm a council, you know, I pay my rates and I have for 31 years, do you think I could have a um, a discount on my rates because you're not allowing people with, that are not vaccinated, you know, to do this? And what did they say? What did they no. say? <laughs> she said, oh. I said, well, excuse me, but your customer service, I'm mm. sure I can go higher than you. She said, you'll have to put it in writing. So I hung up the phone, I rang again, I got another girl and I did the same thing to her. <laughs> you're a roaring mama. <laughs> No, I'm a, I'm a roaring grandma right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My kids have left them. I am a roaring grandma and I yeah. am here to protect my children and my grandchildren. And any anybody else who wants to be protected, I'm there for you. Yeah. Because um, if we don't stand up and make a make a noise. We've got to stand for something. We've, otherwise we, we fall for anything. Yeah, we need, exactly. to, we need to stand for something that, that we believe in, whether it's, you know, 
not necessarily everyone will believe what we believe in, but we need to stand for something and stand for it strongly, particularly when there's um, health and there's risk, um, when there's so many factors that aren't um, even factual, we can't go down that path until we know 100%. Safety is paramount. But this is food. Mm. Let, let's just take it back to food. Yeah. For 40 years I have watched food get worse and worse mm. and worse. And the health and, of us worse. And, and we are lied to. Mm. We are lied to about the dietary guidelines. Mm. We are lied to. For SANS, Food Standards Australia and New Zealand are meant to protect us, but they're under Codex Alimentaris, mm. which is a worldwide trade organisation. Um, and so... You know, they're, I guess they're beholden to them because they seem to be running by their rule game. And, and for 40 years, I've watched these lies mm. and I've watched food allowed into our food supply that causes hyperactivity in children, asthma attacks. Um, and now this court case, by the way, I didn't finish this about this court case in America about the arsenic and lead in baby food is causing intellectual dis- disability, autism, ADD, ADHD. Mm. So this is this is where we've been lied to and our regulatory bodies, the FDA in the US, the CDC, are not protecting our babies. Mm. They're protecting the corporations because they're paid by those corporations. It's not about health. If it was about <laughs> health, they would um, be talking like this. <laughs> So we're talking about protecting people and using preventative measures, prevention, you know, before we get ill and diseased. And it's so simple. It's, you know, going back to those traditional ways, like Western A. Price was a big one for me, Sally A. Fallon, and going back to traditional ways and they're simpler. I know that us women say we don't have the time the time is valuable. I did a permaculture course on the weekend and it was brought to my attention a really good model of making your own sourdough. And she put the value of how much you would save by making it. You know, it only takes 10 minutes. And then how much would that cost you an hour? How much would you be paid? And how much you would save a year? And this, it's incredible. When you do exercises on that and putting value on your time and value on your health, it, you're not losing out because it reduces your time of working as well to fund you buying all this stuff that you don't even know what's in it. So if you can make it yourself, you know what's in it and it's reducing your cost so you don't have to go work for that. You know, you're not, you don't have to work those 40, 50-hour weeks and you're away from your family and then you're tired, you don't want to cook. So the time to make your own food is so, so, so valuable. And experience, you know, a parent like yourself, if a child sees their parent, that's how they learn, by experience and by a parent doing things. If you're in the kitchen, that's what they know to be true. But a lot of kids don't see that. And what a lot of people don't realise in that first six months of life, you imprint on your child what that child will eat Mm. for the rest of their life. So if you're sitting there breastfeeding, eating McDonald's, drinking whiskey, not that that's a bad thing, drinking whiskey, but anyway, (laughs) eating McDonald's. Donald, um, but if you are sitting there and doing that, you're imprinting on that child mm. what it will, eat, will it will know to eat for the rest of its life. Mm. So be very mindful of you know what you're consuming mm. throughout that child from from pregnancy. Well, pregnancy is where it should be starting, but also and, and like most people probably don't do that. But I'm just letting you know that 
um, this is what we're imprinting in the first six months. It's a survival mechanism for them mm. that they then get these cues. Think about the hunter-gatherer. They get the cues of what they can eat and what they can't eat. And yes, they're culturally taught, but it's also an imprint um, that a lot of people don't realise. Yeah. So these are all important things that, um, you know, w- we should be doing, and but we're not told about. You know, mm. imagine... At the beginning of last year, we had mandated healthy foods, sunshine, connection, movement, and good sleep, and and turn the television off. Imagine if they'd mandated that, where the world would be right now. Mm, very different. Far, a far better situation. Mm, far better situation. I find the fear that's been um, the fear at the moment is more the pandemic right now, you know, Fear creates stress and stress on the body, and that's something else I wanted to talk to you about today is stress and the impact that has on our body, our hormones, our regulative, our digestion, and the stress people are under at the moment on all fronts is so high, and it's been long-term, like two years. You know, long-term stress is not good for us. So what are the, what are the things that impact our health with stress? Well, you've got to look at stress. Um, so I did anthropology and you learnt anthropology when you did my course because it was anthropology that got me excited about nutrition. So um, when I was about 18, I knew I wanted to go skiing and um, snow skiing couldn't be done here in Australia, you know, and go to university at the same time. And I found this <laughs> university in America. I'm lucky. I'm an American citizen. So in 1980, I flew to Colorado. 20 minutes from the ski field, I went to university. But I, I kind of think that was I was destined to do that because I could I was doing pre-med. I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I was doing pre-med. And I could do electives. And one of the electives that I chose was anthropology the first semester and cultural anthropology the second semester. And it was this incredible lecturer that I had, Professor Van Gerven, that gave me a love of um, the human species um, and their culture and the survival um, and how it worked. So it, it was that that made me want to be a nutritionist. So everything that I do, I always go back to my roots of anthropology and cultural anthropology. So let's look at stress on um, somebody who was a hunter-gatherer. So there would have been short terms of stress. So they would have been in fear for their life because they were being attacked by something or something was happening and they would have run. And during that time, what happens is that you don't need digestion. You don't need hormones. What you need is your blood going to your arms and legs um, and the and almost get it coming away from the brain. So you all you're doing is running for your life and you are going for one place. So that's stress on the body. And then once that danger had passed, we were able to rest and digest and the brain function would come back and we were able to sit down and relax. So we have two nervous systems, two two parts of the autonomic nervous system. One is the sympathetic, which is I'm going to flee, I'm going to fight, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do whatever it takes in order to me to survive. The other is the parasympathetic and that is, um, having babies, that is, so your fertility, your hormones, it changes, your digestion changes, your brain function changes. So when I think of stress, I think you're in the sympathetic, which you are. There's a, an incredible book out called Sympathetic Dominance by Dr. Wayne Todd. I wrote the forward for it. I was very lucky to be one of the first readers of it. It is incredible. And he 
talks about, you know, this this whole system. And he basically says that when he he's a chiropractor in sale, Victoria, um, when he sees patients, he can see they're in sympathetic dominance. So this stress over the last two years everyone would be in sympathetic dominance. And he he goes through all the systems of the body that will be affected, but he then also goes through what you need to do in order to change it to parasympathetic. Um, And one one of the things that, and I've probably got it sitting here, you won't, yeah, I was just realising we're not on video, so my bookshelf has that incredible book. I know, it's a great bookshelf. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, it's, yeah, that's mostly nutrition. I just did a clean out of it. I thought, what am I going to use and what am I going to use? Because I need more books. Here's my, um, I know you can see me, but nobody else can see me. So this is my um, next lot of books I'm reading. So Stephanie Seneff just came out with Toxic Legacy. Um, Paul Emberson, um, you're not going to believe who sent these beautiful books to me. Um, Hamish McKay. Oh, Hamish. Uh, yeah, Hamish sent me um, these, The Death of Nutrition and the Resurrection of Humanity, Concerning Clones and the Lost Hierarchy, The Truth About Vitamin A. So these are my my books I've got to read, The War on the Informed Consent and Ending Plague um, by Judy McCovitz. And then, of course, oh at the moment, yeah, yeah, then that's my books I'm about to read. I'm in danger um, now of getting more books. <laughs> Oh, gosh, look, there is so much good stuff out there, so much good stuff. So um, going back to sympathetic dominance versus parasympathetic and stress, for me, the best way to deal with this is I live um, not in the past and not in the future. I live in the present because right now in the present, I'm having a ball with you, Sue, and I know that every second of every day I can have the best time of my life as long as I don't look to the future and as long as I don't look to the past because I've had, you know, my dad just died, you know, my daughter's just moved to Spain. Um, these are all things that happen to us but every, all is good at this point in time with you right now. I'm happy. And if we can live in our present because nobody ever knows their future, you know, you can pretend you know what's going to happen tomorrow but you don't have no idea and I think this this whole last two years has proven that. We don't know what's going to happen. No. So just live in the present. Do the best that you can possibly do living in that. But hone your skills for the future. So educate yourself about what is happening. Don't get worried about it. Just educate yourself about it. Make sure you're growing your own food. Make sure you know what is happening to our food supply and that you um, know the right foods to choose. Make sure you understand what chemicals are being sprayed um, wherever, and just don't choose to buy them, you know. So it's, to me, we are honing our skills for the future. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what that future is, but we're honing our skills for skills for a better future. And, and that's how I stay in parasympathetic, where I rest and digest. I sleep well at night. I don't have many sleepless nights at all. <laughs> My husband said to me, last night you were having a good old scream in your, in your dreams. And I went, Oh, was I? I don't even remember. You know, I don't remember what the dream was. Um, but yeah, just this is the way I, this is the way I live live my life, and staying in parasympathetic. At times, I'm in sympathetic because I might go for um, a run, and that will put me into sympathetic. Um, but don't stay in sympathetic up in your brain. Um, 
because it will put the rest of your body into sympathetic. Yeah. yeah. So that's what stress is doing. It's it's putting you into fight and flight and fright. Yeah. All the time. Definitely. You know, you are wanting just constantly on high alert. alert so yeah. everything that you would do in the parasympathetic is shut off. Mm. And that is fertility, that is digestion, that is brain function, um, that is adrenals. That like there's just so much it affects, mm. and all it's doing is pumping blood into those arms and legs, you know. And you don't don't need that when you're sitting down. No. Yeah, but it's true. You know what you said a while back was turn off your TV because a lot of people are getting the information from mainstream news, and there's a narrative there. So you know the books. You know that was one thing I really valued was books that you recommended and it would take me off and you would learn so much. And, you know, we get to an age where we think, oh, we don't need to learn anything anymore. You know, we've finished school, we've had kids, we don't need to learn. But there's so much to learn about and to get curious. And that was one thing because curiosity is really fun and exciting to be curious and to, um, what was the other word I was thinking of? Um, Just thinking outside the box a bit and having an open mind. You know, take some stuff in if you think, and I always go with my instinct and my heart, if something doesn't feel right, check into it or have a look at some other information and make your own mind about it. Don't allow someone else to make your mind up for you because a lot of people are doing that. They're not. And that is and that is with that mainstream. And when you turn mainstream television off, oh, my gosh, like I, I'm, I've just been listening to Joe Rogan and um, Peter McCullough. Mm. Oh. Yeah, I've got to listen you know, like, to that one. It's just brilliant and I just think it takes you out of mainstream and puts you into um, what is really happening. Mm. And you, people spend so much time watching television and you could spend that time going for a walk and put in, putting a podcast on, mm. uh, going for a walk and putting an audible book on, laying down on the couch and instead of turning the television on, Reading a novel, so I do have novels on the go as well. I'm reading. The, I'm just about finished the Salt Path <laughs> at the moment. Oh, it's just beautiful. It's salt just beautiful. Path. The Salt Path. Oh, yeah, I love that. That title's oh. beautiful. Oh, it's a true. I didn't know it was what a true is story. it. Well, tell me. I, I'm curious now. What is it about? The Salt Path is um, about a couple whose children are at university. Um, they do a financial, a financially disastrous thing and lose their home, their farm you know, and so therefore they're animals and their life for 25 years. They have no money. Um, they're living on 30 pound a week and they decide to walk the salt path. And the salt path is that path that goes on the west side of England down the bottom where you start kind of in Wales and lots of people, it's a pilgrimage, a lot of people walk it and they decide to walk the whole path, 600 and something kilometres wow. on 30 pound a week. And he has a fatal disease. He, They say in two years he'll be dead. He'll first lose the ability to walk and then he'll lose the ability to swallow basically. And um, I can't remember the name of his disease, CHD or something like that. Yeah. Um, and um, it's just the story of how they, they get through that 600 and something. Uh, and I'm not going to tell you the end because... I will tell you this, though, because I read this today. It's towards the end, and he says this because he's got this fatal disease. They're in the tent, and they're nearing the end of their travels. I get goosebumps even thinking about it. And they're nearing the ends of their travel, and he says, when I die, I want you to cremate me. But you know how I wanted you to put me 
in the farm on that spot overlooking the mountains. He said, well, we don't have the farm anymore, so I just want you to put me in a box and put me in the house somewhere, wherever we choose to live after this. And he says, when you die, I want you to tell the children to cremate you and put you in the box with me, shake us around, and then throw us to the wind. Oh, I just like this one. Beautiful. Wow. This is love. This yeah. is this, the love of these two. And this is, and, and it was so funny because I flicked to the back and I read about the author and I went, it's a true story. This, oh, my gosh, it's a true story, no. you know. So, yeah, I just thought it was just a nice little walk in the park. But, you know, like Bill Bryson does, but his is a true story too. Yeah. So um, I think also fiction is really, well, it's not fiction. It's, it's nice to story, have a different, yeah, instead of reading lots of reference books. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's nice to have it's something, a, a little story. novel, yeah, yeah, to throw it in the mix. Yeah. 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 It's just a beautiful story. So, um, yeah, we're, we were talking about stress and, and mm. w- what we can do to alleviate stress. So mine, I haven't watched um, any television. I actually made the decision before COVID started. Um, I um, made that decision. I went to... Um, Joe Dispenza, I did a week mm. meditation, a week of meditation. Wow, how was that? Because I've done a weekend, I've done a weekend, but not a week. The week was amazing. Mm. So I had that week and after that week I made some decisions about my life and that meditation would be a part of it. But I also made the decision that I never wanted to watch mainstream television again. So that was, I think, October 2018. So when this whole thing started, I was still listening to the ABC because I figured that's not commercial television. Mm radio um i didn't really watch television abc but i watch i listened to the radio um and i turned that off very, very quickly mm. so i haven't i don't listen to anything mm. but it, interesting i um i have a hire car at the moment mm. and the radio station that was on the hire car when i turned it on was salt fm which is a christian um like a christian radio program which i've, I've never listened to before Best interviews, thinks like I think, and I'm thinking, oh, maybe there is a radio station I can listen to, you know. So, you know. So every now and then if I'm not listening to a podcast, I will I will put salt on. Beautiful music, mm. um, you know, great interviews about uplifting stories. This is what we need. We need uplifting stories. We don't need what we're hearing on mainstream, which never tells you the, the good stories. No, they, they're always provoking reactions in their you know, the listeners, you know, they always want something from the listeners to create a reaction, whether it's good or bad. They don't really care as long as they're getting the ratings and, you know, the sponsors, that's all they care about. They're not really caring for the actual content that's going out. I heard about um, the newsreader from ABC, my local ABC, and I won't say his name because I I hear he's become very private, but he was the newsreader and very quickly he realised he wasn't going to be able to read the news because it was all you know, just in the beginning, like March 2020, it was just constant battering of the same topic, the same, and he realised that he was going to kill him. Mm. So um, he quit. He bought, I think, 40 acres with his family. He's got young kids and they've become regenerative farmers. So, Well, regenerative farming, you know, whether it's regenerative farming or regenerative life and or you're supporting it does bring such a, a happiness and joy because it's, it's so inspiring. You know, when I joined the regenerative family such in Australia, uh, through you, of course, <laughs> um, <laughs> it was just the most 
exciting experience of my life, you know, learning about, and all the people that were managing our land, all these regenerative farmers were so happy doing what they do for their living, for their, you know, for their families and their community. And to be part of that community was so inspiring. That's why I think, you know, if you get involved in community organisations or projects in your local area, doing something beyond yourself is another thing to reduce your stress. You know, mm. doing doing acts of kindness or just doing something service. beyond you. Yes, service mm. is the right word. Acts of service. Mm. And, and acts of service can be um, to the land as well. Mm. Mm. You know, it doesn't have to be to another human. It can be how you take care of the land. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then those acts of service create a ripple effect that eventually create that tsunami of change. And mm. and that's what we want, you know, they, we want that that ripple effect that everybody creates and the ripples turn into tsunamis. And I think that's the only way through, um, I think it's the only way through the awakening that is happening. Mm. And I have to tell you, um, I have to be grateful for this time in, in life because I've learnt more and been awakened more. Like I've always been awakened about food. Oh, you know, like I read everything about food. But now I'm being awakened to big ag, big pharma, big medica, big government, um, big regulator. I'm being awakened to so much. And and if you have inquiry and you question what is happening Mm. and you awaken, then you want to create an impact on the world because you don't want to have what is happening um, in the world right now, which is, Absolute greed and um, power hungry, that's all I see now. Mm. Um, but I don't focus on that. I focus on what I can do as an individual because I am the only one that can implement any change mm. in me. I can't change you. I can give you information and you can make that change. I can influence you, but I can't make you change. Mm. And that's what you do. You're an influencer with your podcast. You're an influencer with your documentary. You're an influencer with everything you're doing. But you're not, you're not changing people. No. There's no way that we can change people, but we can influence. Mm-hmm. And, and that's I, I can't change my husband. I can't change my kids. All I can do is change myself and then by example we may be able to influence our family and friends and with their love and support, a community, um, and that community is growing. You have to admit that regenerative life, regenerative journey, that regenerative whatever it is, um, is growing. And yeah. and that's what I love. You know, because I, I, I think it, it's coming from the heart. It's not coming from a place of fear or anger or want and or ego. It's just coming from a spirit, an open heart. And people will listen to that. When, when you're talking fear or you know, statistics or things that are frightening, people shut down. They shut down, they get out of action. That's another stress thing. You know, you, you get out of action, so you feel helpless. But when you're um, open, you feel like you can contribute. You're, you're in action, so you're feeling better. You're not paralysed. Not at all. Mm. Not at all. But mm. this word sovereignty has been um, played around, which I love at the moment, that word sovereignty. It can mean what's... I'm putting you on the spot here. Mm. What what's sovereignty mean to you? That you are responsible for your life. Mm. You are responsible for your health. You are responsible um, 
you know, for your body. Um, you have sovereignty over your life, body, health. Um, you don't necessarily have sovereignty over your children. They have sovereignty over themselves. Mm. But that's how I see it. It's about you taking responsibility. So it, we live in a society of it's your fault and the government will fix it. So we are in socialised medicine, so we have Medicare, um, and if you're sick, um, you get paid, basically. If you're well, you don't get paid. Mm. So me as a person who doesn't go to a doctor, unless I've got a stitch, I've got to get stitched up, or I have glass in my hand or, you know, something like that, I will go to, the, I will go to my doctor and I'll, I will be looked at. And the government will pay for me to do that. But when I'm well, I never go to the doctor, but I don't get paid to stay well. But when you have, when you eat bad food, don't get out in the sunshine, watch Netflix all day or or mainstream television, whatever it is that you're doing, and you do all the wrong ingredients for your health and your life, you get to, you can have $400,000 spent on you. They can give you 400 grand to be well. This to me is crazy. It's a backward model. It's so backward. It's. It yeah. is a stupid model, but but I don't I don't I don't do this for money. Mm. I do this because I love life. I want to have as much energy as I can in order to be have the best life I can. Because mm. if you're sick, you can't have a good life. Because all you're doing is going to the doctor, being in bed, taking drugs, not feeling well, brain's not working, can't read, can't concentrate, can't you know. So. I just, I kind of go, I don't do this for money, but I I also think there are some people who do things for money and maybe if we change the system. So for me, sovereignty is taking total responsibility for where I am in my life right now, Um, how I make money, um, how I live, what food I choose, um, what sunshine I choose to have, what exercise I have. And, And what blows me away is all the ingredients for health apart from food but all the ingredients for health are free. Mm-hmm. Sunshine, movement. You don't have to go to a gym. You can go outside and walk, which gets you both, sunshine and, and walking. Um, connection. You can have friends around and have a cup of tea. A cup of tea, you just grow on your herbs. You throw that in. It's costing you nothing. That's connection. Um, breath work. You could do some breath work, which is about oxygen and oxygenating the brain. That's free. Um, sleep. That's free. Yeah, you might have to buy a bed, but... You know, I know that Lifeline has actually beds that you pay $5,000 for in one store and they're brand new because they're old season stocks for $500. So so it might cost you $500 for 10, 20 years of a bed. And so, you can grow food for free. You can do seed swaps with your local community garden or your permaculture group and you've got yeah. seed. You know, I, I learned that on the weekend of seed saving. That mm-hmm. in itself is incredible, you know. And, and that seed saving is more and more important now that Fasans has passed the fact that they can irradiate all of our food. So irradiation with gamma rays of our food means that our seeds are dead. Mm. So once upon a time in the compost, you saw the pumpkin coming out and the tomato coming out, yeah. and, you know, and everything's coming out. That's not going to happen anymore. Mm. Yeah, I was wondering why because I compost and I thought, oh, I'll get some tomatoes or pumpkins at least, but nothing. Hmm. That's food irradiation. Um, but like if you're buying from your local market mm. where the food comes from the farmer to you, it they, there's no food irradiation. Mm. Maybe so, the conditions um, in my compost aren't so good. <laughs> well, they could be really good and they're burnt taking everything down. Yeah. So me, I'm a, I'm a lazy composter sometimes. 
my son's a very good composter, but I'm the lazy one. So the other day, the other like the other day, um, I bought some basil, and it still had all the roots on it um, because I wasn't up at the farm. I was I was down at my house, and I thought oh, I need basil for my pesto, and I didn't get any basil from the farm. So I went and bought some, and it still had those roots. So after I chopped it all off, I just <laughs> stuck it in the ground, and then I had a couple of tomatoes that were going off, so I threw them in the ground as well. Well, now I have in my pot because. At my house, I only have pots. So um, in my pot, I have the best basil growing. I wish I'd taken a photo to show you. The best basil growing and about 10 tomato plants that are about, like I would say, like, yeah, yeah, they're huge. And see, the cost of that that is nothing. I mean, you're getting endless food supply. Mm. And, oh, my gosh, we've got so much I could speak to you about. You know, you've got your own farm and syntropic farming and everything, you know, what you do up there. Um, but I think we might have to end it. We might have to have another conversation in the future. But I'll end it with a question, one more question. I start with a question and I end with a question. You ready? You ready? Um, what's a favourite quote of yours, something that means um, something interesting to you right now? Mm. I have so many, but I've chosen this one. And this was my seven-year-old daughter when I was writing my book, Changing Habits, Changing Lives, back in 1998, 2000, and she said this to me. She said, Mummy, I figured your book out. Because, you know, I obviously talked to her. I didn't remember talking to her about it, but I obviously did at seven. She said, God makes all the healthy foods and everything else is junk. Oh, love her. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, so at you that, that age to see that yeah, too. At that age, yeah, and and it, it encompasses encompasses everything I talk about. Mm. Food, eat real food, no packaged foods, no additives. You can't go wrong, and and you just have to think. Well, can I make margarine? Can I make butter? Mm-hmm. You know, which which one's been given to us by God, nature, whatever you want to say? Yep. Yeah, that's yep. that's my end quote. I love it. Great way to end it. How can people find you? Because you've got a few things that we didn't go into changing habits, only a little bit, but I'd love to people to check you out because your products, you know, I put a lot of trust in your products because you do all the research and you're very mindful of what ingredients you put in. So where can people find you? So changinghabits.com.au is um, one website. And the other one, if you want to do the course that um, Sue's been doing or has done, um, it's the nutrition dot academy but i'm pretty sure you can find on changing yeah i'll put it up on the notes the show notes as well so people can click and then and then if you want to follow me on instagram i'm very vocal and very uh, controversial and changing habits won't let me be changing habits anymore so they've made me cindy omira so (laughs) i am on on that but if you want to change I want to do changing habits, which is recipes and information on products and new releases. Just go to changing habits underscore HQ cool. <laughs> headquarters. Because you've got protocols HQ. there that you can do. You know, you've got your fat loss. Is it fat loss protocol? Which the is fat loss protocol brilliant. and the health of keto way. Um, yeah. And for people who may be just listening to this for the very first time and they eat breakfast cereals and cheese slice sandwiches and lean cuisine, I have – um, a core, like a an introduction to real food. So there's there's three lifestyle programs depending on where you are and where you want to, you know, what is it that you need to do in order to be, you know, become healthy and become educated about what your body needs because that is the key is that everybody's different and we all have different needs um, with our food. I can't eat wheat. 
Mm-hmm. You know, just can't eat it. And I can't eat too much butter. I can eat some, but I can't slab it on. <laughs> just have the taste, the taste just of butter. T- <laughs> Not a cheese slice of butter, just... Just a scrape. <laughs> yeah, just a scrape. So these are the things you learn, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, thanks, Cindy. Thank you so much for coming on board and your time. And it's been such a pleasure and an honour to have enjoy this conversation. We talk about being in the moment. It's been the best moment of my day today (laughs) listening to you I could listen to you forever and um I'm so I so hope that everyone has enjoyed this conversation as much as we have thank you Sue I really really love the conversation too (laughs) thanks Cindy thanks for tuning in to the kitchen table today hope you enjoyed the conversation and it inspires a new conversation around your own kitchen table with friends and family. Till next time, peace and plants. <laughs>